Hey man, say hello to a few people before you sit down. Just make them welcome. Praise the Lord. I just love being in the house of God. Man, it's going to be great on Thursday night. We have a prayer meeting. We just get into it. We've got an hour and a half. And we can just not have to worry. We can just without restraint worship God and pray for our area. Amen. It'd be a great thing to do. Come together, do that. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate all that you do. Uh, we're going to just pray for some people who are becoming members of the church today. Fantastic people. Come on. We're just going to give them all a clap when I read out this list. But Richard and Eileen Thessinger. Uh, oh, Chris Heath. Benjamin Duxfield. Where's Benjamin? Over there. Okay. Dave McKinney. Uh, Stan Morris, Shane and Shelley Beattie, Roman and Kelly Slade. And there may be others that I didn't get the name because I left my sheet of paper at home on my table. But if I didn't, please don't be offended. Just come anyway. <laughs> so all those ones who read out your name, please come up now. We want to pray for you and bless you and welcome you into membership today. Hey, fantastic. Whoa, glory to God. Come on there, just stand up in the row facing me. There we go. Praise the Lord. You're on display. It is an awesome thing to become committed and become part of a local church. God's plan is to plant us so we become connected. And we just thank the Lord for each of you today that he's joined you to us. And uh, it's our prayer that as a result of making that commitment to be identified with Bay City, that you will actually start to receive a flow of life and impartation beyond what you've ever known, that you'll find a place to express the gifts you have and that God will prosper and bless you. So you'll actually have a powerful influence on other people. And uh, amen, it's a great thing. This is God's plan. We'd be part of a family. And that's great. I love, don't you love the family of God? Young ones up the front, jumping up and down, and all sorts of things going on. I love it. It's just, when church is going great, it's just the best place in the world. Amen. So we just want to just, uh, why don't you just raise your hands right now and just get some of my leaders to come. We're going to lay hands on you and release anointing into you to pray for you that God will bless you and release his power into your life. Amen. Father, we just thank you for each one of these precious people you are adding into Bay City today. We receive and welcome them today, Lord. We pray a release of your anointing and power upon them. We pray that the anointing, the prophetic flow, the flow of revelation, the flow of love, the flow of miracles that's on my life will flow over their life. They will come up to a new level and sing you breakthrough in their personal lives. Now, Lord, as we lay hands, let power come upon them in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you, Lord. I just thank you, Michelle. I release your anointing and fire. Spirit of revelation, fire from heaven come over her life. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Shane, I thank you, Lord, for Lord his pure heart before you, his willingness to serve and to give himself. Father, in Jesus' name, release your power into his life today. Touch him, Lord. Anoint him today, my In the mighty name of Jesus. So that's a great work, isn't it, eh? Glory to God. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Father, release your presence, your anointing, and your power. Power. And a release of his giftings. In Jesus' name. Well, praise God. Let's give him a clap, shall we? Amen. Fantastic. That's right. Come back. <laughs> what a great church we have we had a whole heap of kids were sponsored for our kids camp got a kids camp coming up next week it's closed off now because uh, Camp David's full got the whole place full up no room for any more at the inn and uh, so if you missed out this time just get in early next time it's the biggest camp around yet we filled it up 
And uh, we had a whole heap of people who, sp who sponsored Young Ones to come in. I want to thank you for doing that, for that generosity. And uh, what we found was that uh, the ones who are being sponsored are primarily unsaved people coming in to get exposed to the presence and spirit of God so they can get saved. It's fantastic. Well, it's going to be a great camp. I want you to just to, uh, just during the week remember that. We'll be praying for them on Thursday. Pray during the week and pray and expect they'll have a, a move of God in other camps. Uh, young ones have come into visions of heaven, visions and revelations of God, uh, being slain in the spirit, out to it, being touched by God. Come back change. That's the kind of kids ministry I want. And if you're sitting there wondering why we don't just read Bible stories and play games, because it's simply this, because I don't know where you ever got that idea that that was church. <laughs> it ain't church. Church is the Holy Ghost moving on people, the Word of God getting in their lives and hearts. Fire of God in people. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I, w I believe it can be young. I only wish I was young back there again with anointed people like Stephen Alley and others coming to minister to us. What a privilege that is. What an absolute privilege it is to have anointed people coming to touch and impact the lives of our young ones. I believe God wants to raise up a new generation that don't have to be corrupted by the world. They can actually stand up and live and move in the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, you don't have to wait. You're an old person before you can start to hear God. You can hear them when you're very young. Isn't that right? Say, well, we believe it. We need to do something about it. <laughs> Praise God. Well, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. Father, we pray you just continue to work in our midst. Lord, as we share the word of God, Lord, let it just convict and convince and touch our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. How many know about offenses by now? How many think they know a little bit about them? Hey? Well, I wonder if you listened to Sue and you applied what she said to finance, you applied it to offenses. It ain't enough to know about it. You've got to be doing something. And the reason that we spend so much time on this is it's a laying a, a preparation for other things God wants to do. And uh, so we'll see as we move through into the next season in the church how God is wanting us to encounter him in a greater measure. But if we refuse to deal with hard attitudes, as we'll see in a moment, you cannot access the blessings God has for you. Just coming to church, just turning up, just uh, trying to live a good life. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to experience and encounter His presence and be a channel of His life. To be a channel of a life, you've got to have your heart open. And so we've taken a bit of time because Jesus said, if you won't forgive, neither shall you be forgiven. If you aren't forgiven, you can't access the life of God. And it's all about us accessing the life of God and being a blessing and touching people in the community. How many people have tried to reach out to someone and you actually got quite knocked back or set back or found, you know, there was a huge resistance like a wall came up around their life? How many found that? It's good. Every one of us had that kind of thing. How many got offended with God and quit and gave up? Okay, don't put your hand up. There's more than would like to put their hand up and admit. But the reality is we can get offended with God when what we expected didn't happen. We can be offended with one another when what we expected didn't happen. And offenses, if we don't deal with them, will change the spiritual atmosphere around us and we won't, we'll either make choices that bring us to a place where we can release God's life again and again and again or whether we get overcome. So I want to just go through today. I'm going to, I thought I'd just do one to finish up, but uh, as, I, as I started, I felt the Holy Ghost quicken me to just uh, do one more Sunday after this. this. This time I want to talk about how to overcome offense. How to overcome offense. What do you need to do to overcome offense? And then uh, next time when I preach, I want to share with you about being reconciled one to another. That's the, that's the more difficult one. The process of how we can actually repair the broken relationships and connect more closely to one another. And uh, of course, if we don't deal with offenses, that will never happen. We become religious and pretend. 
Eh? Why don't you look with me then in Romans chapter 12. So we're looking at overcoming offense, overcoming offense. In uh, Luke 17 verse 1, Jesus said uh, that offenses must come. It's impossible they won't come. So if you hadn't had any before this that you knew about, by now you've had a whole heap of them. How many had a heap of them happen just this last season since we've been talking about it? heap of it. Maybe there's always been happening and you just never recognized it. Maybe now our eyes are more open and so we recognize that we get offended, we close up our spirit, we draw back, we carry snitches, we say negative words, we do all kinds of stuff. We have never realized what we've done, but now we're aware of that. And being aware of it's the first step, doing something's the second. I want to look just in Romans chapter 12, verse 17, verse 73 to 21. Now do not repay any man evil for evil. Don't pay back. No payback, no utu, no getting even. You know, like that thing they said, don't get mad, get even. No getting even. God says, don't get even. It says, rather provide good things or honest things in the sight of all men. If it all be possible, live at peace with all men. If it's possible, as much as lies within you, I like that verse. If it's possible. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it's just plumb not possible to get on with some folks. And it may not just be your reason. But the Bible says, as much as you've got the ability to, do what you can to be at peace with people. And then he says, then he goes on to say, uh, don't try to get revenge. Don't avenge yourself. Don't pay back. No payback. But rather, give place to anger. So anger will always result in you wanting to pay back and get even. So he says, don't pay back. Get over your anger. Deal with your anger because God is the one who will give the vengeance. You see, the problem is, that is, suppose someone does something bad to you, how much do you do to them to get it even? If you don't do enough, you still never feel right about it. If you do too much, you say, you did too much, now I've got to pay back and get even with you. So the problem is, you can't really work this out because you never know the motives that people did things. We never really know why they did it. We don't know, we can never really ever tell the difference between an honest, innocent mistake or someone just was ignorant and they weren't aware, raising right through to where they deliberately set out to do something. There's a whole range in there. How can you evaluate someone's motives? All you do is look at the action and you perceive and you have your own interpretation of it, which may be completely wrong. So the difficulty is, if we're going to set ourselves up as the judge and, and condemn the person, then punish them, how much punishment are we going to give if we don't really know what was going on inside them? I've had some people get mad at me because they didn't look at them. I never even noticed them. I was preoccupied doing something else. But they're mad at me. So they want to punish. How much punishment will make up for that? Well, I wasn't even aware. So the guilt is obviously very light. You understand, it's, this is the problem when you try to pay back, when you try to get revenge. You have to evaluate the hard attitude of a person. You've got no way of really doing that. So God says, get over your anger. Don't pay back because let God deal with it. In other words, he's not saying that you've got to tolerate injustice. He's saying God is the judge. He can sort this thing out. And when he gets on someone's case, he's better at you than doing it. So it says, let things go to God. Usually when we're angry, it's because we feel an injustice, and so we want to get payback. Better let it go to God. Now notice what it says here. He says, if you're going to be hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him to drink. If you're enemy, we can hardly do that to someone in the church sometimes. If he thirsts, give him to drink. And sober, you'll heat coals of fire. And he said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's the key directive now. To overcome means to conquer something. 
It means to subdue something. It means to master it, overcome it. So here's the thing. When someone does something evil to you, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you have a choice whether you will let evil subdue you, rule over you, into your heart and infect your life, or whether you will arise, beat off the offense, and overcome evil by doing good. That's the choice every time evil happens. Jesus makes it very clear, we live in a world full of evil. We will live in a world full of sin. It's impossible that people don't hurt you and affect you in a negative way. So Jesus said this in, in Matthew chapter 20, around about verse 24, 26. He said, the Son of Man hasn't come to be ministered to. He came to minister and give His life. Or putting it in a simpler terms, he said, I didn't come to get something out of life. I came to be a channel of good and blessing and healing and deliverance. So wherever there's evil, good prevails over it. That's what Jesus' whole mindset is. God wants the church to get that mindset. That we are to be a channel of the goodness of God to people. Instead of looking, well, that's a good person, that's a bad one. The bad one ought to be punished. The good one ought to be blessed. That's not God's thinking. God blesses the unjust and the just. He's a good God. Goodness flows out of him. So often we see the story of the prodigal son. The elder brother lived in the house of the father and never realized how good he is. How good God is. If you know how good he is, you'll be good to people too. He's been good to you. You'll be good to people. So he said, overcome evil with good. So, so what I want us to do now is to have a look. What do we got to do to prevail over evil? Notice what it tells us. Don't let evil overcome you, but you overcome evil with something. In other words, we have to do something to get over offenses and hurts, injustices. They're going to come big time. And interestingly enough, when you serve God, some more come you never expected. So we have to overcome them. To overcome them means you prevail over them, get the victory. That means you have to do something good. It doesn't say do something they deserved. It doesn't mean pay them back. It means do something good that enables you personally to prevail over the evil that was done. Now, what a blessing. If every Christian, every person in Bay City decided, wherever I go, whatever evil is around, I won't let it offend me. I'll overcome it by doing good. Now, you actually realize then, the moment I put it in those words, we realize our issue is we have a lack of love and we get offended far more easily than we realize. Someone at work gives you a hard time for being a Christian, you get a snitcher against them. Someone knocks you back over something, we get offended. But God says, overcome evil with good. Do you realize that, Jesus, that, that, that Judas was stealing from Jesus regularly out of the money bag that he was entrusted and Jesus knew it? And yet Jesus could still offer him friendship at the table and still kiss him in friendship, knowing what he was like. That's what God's wanting us to... He, he, Jesus modeled what he wants us to do. Our problem is a lack of love. We go back to living in the flesh and we react and we want revenge and we want to get even and we want this and we want that instead of actually drawing on a well of love and life of God and being an answer to the problem. You get any idea? Okay, now I want us to just look into Matthew chapter 5, verse 20 to 24. <clears throat> I want to... Ask the question, are you living under law or under grace? Do you live under law or under grace? If, the, if you're living under law, there's right and wrong, and then there's justice and punishment, and you have to actually then live in a realm different to what God wanted you to live in. 
Now, I want you to see this. It says, and Jesus is speaking in verse 20. This is a great sermon on the mount, Matthew 5, verse 20. Now, he said, I tell you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And then he, just in case we didn't know what it meant, he explains it. Now, to enter the kingdom of God, we've been, the Bible tells us when you are born again, when you receive Jesus, your Savior, then we are born into the kingdom. Now we are positioned at the entrance to the kingdom, able to access many blessings of the kingdom of heaven. We are able to access healing. We're able to access deliverance. We're able to access uh, miracle provisions. We're able to access all kinds of grace to do different things. We're able to access creativity. We are privileged and positioned to do that. Now Jesus said this, unless your righteousness or your lifestyle is better than that of the Pharisees, you can't experience those things. Now, the Pharisees were meticulous religious people on the outside. And Jesus then begins to talk about the law. And he goes and refers in several instances now what the law says. He said, now, you know Moses' Ten Commandments. They said, yeah, 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 yeah. And he says, you know where it says you shan't kill? Say, yeah, yeah, we never kill anyone. He said, listen, the kingdom of heaven is not about whether you kill someone. The kingdom of heaven, if you want to experience the blessings of that kingdom, you've got to actually deal with the heart issues that cause murder to take place. So he raised the standard. I hear people sometimes argue about tithing, tithing's under the law, tithing's the Old Testament, all kind of deal. Hey, listen, Jesus raised the bar. Whatever happened under the Old Testament, we're able and privileged and called to do far more in the new. Tithing was an Old Testament thing. Actually, it was before, tithing was before the law, you see? But Jesus raised us so we don't live under the law. The law says don't kill. I never killed anyone. The law says don't commit adultery. I never committed adultery. The law says don't do this, don't do that. I never did those things. Jesus puts it all in perspective. He says, hey, we want your heart, not the outward behavior. Now, he begins to talk about heart murder. Have you ever had the spirit of murder on you? Would you know what the spirit of murder felt like when it's on you? Would you know what you would look like when a spirit of murder is on you? Oh, it couldn't be me. I'm a Christian. Not so. Look what Jesus said. He said, he said you've heard it said by those of old, or you've heard in Moses' command, you shall not kill, and whoever kills will be in danger of judgment. So a person who murders or kills someone, that's killing with intent to kill them. They actually have the intent. It's not manslaughter. Manslaughter, it happened, but they never intended to do that. If, they'd had a, if they realized what was going to happen, they'd never have done it. There's no intent of murder. So it's manslaughter. It's still the person died. There's still a, a punishment, but it's less than if they deliberately set out to kill them. You got the picture? So Jesus said, you've heard in the Old Testament, you shall not kill. But he says, now look at this. He said, a person who kills me in danger of judgment. He said, now, he says, <clears throat> he said, listen to me. He said, I tell you. Now he's talking to his disciples. Are you a disciple of Jesus? She says, okay, I tell you this, if you are angry with your brother without cause, you're in danger of judgment. Angry without cause. The words without cause aren't in the original. They were added in because people had trouble handling this. If you are angry, if you are angry, that word's provoked and raged, strong feelings that leads to a desire to retaliate. If you're angry without cause. Now, Let's just talk a little bit about anger. Is anger permissible? Yes, it is. Jesus got angry. Now, there's a certain kind of anger, which is a godly anger. A godly anger, where anger about injustice, 
about sin, about oppression. It's not about a personal hurt. It's about something is wrong. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus went into the church and he looked around and he was angry, flamed with passion of anger. Why was he angry? Because religion stopped people getting near to God who loved them and wanted to bless them. He, he was angry at religious people who lay laws on people, who condemn people, who find fault in people and know nothing of the heart of God to love people. That made him angry should make us angry too. You should be angry about religion because it hurts people. It really hurts them because it misrepresents God. And if it misrepresents God, then they're offended and turned away from God, not because they, because they never even had a chance to see what he was like. Someone misrepresented what God is like. You'd be amazed how many people have got to tell them I know what you experienced hurt you, but that's not what God is like. See how Jesus handled people. So Jesus was angry. The Bible says God is angry. God's angry at sin and injustice. When when God looks from heaven and he sees children being abused, when he sees poverty, when he sees murders and wars, he is angry about those things. Anger is a part of God's makeup. It's actually part of what we express to when we feel something goes wrong, we get angry. It's okay to be angry. How many know it's okay to be angry? I see half of you are not even sure about that. I'm a Christian. I shouldn't be angry. How many have heard that one? You're a Christian. You shouldn't be angry. That is a controlling religious attitude. It's got nothing to do with God. You know what the Bible says? Be angry. Ephesians 4.26 says be angry. In other words, there's a place for anger. Anger is an emotion. Nothing wrong with anger emotion. It's what you do that's the problem. You, you have uh, the normal process when there's grief, someone dies, someone who's very near to you, and it seems such an injustice they died, you feel angry. You don't know what to lash out or who to lash out, but you get angry. Anger is a part of the human emotion. God gets angry. We also get angry. We get angry at different things to God, though. We get angry when we get hurt. God gets angry about injustice to others. That's a righteous anger. So the Bible says in Ephesians 4:26, be angry, but don't sin, neither let the sun go down on your anger. So it says very clearly, it's okay to feel angry. If some of you here are angry, it's okay to feel angry if something's really bad's happened to you. Girl has been abused, don't tell her she shouldn't feel angry. Feel angry with her. She's got every right to feel angry. Every right to feel very angry. Don't say you can't feel angry. When you do that, you control them, shut them down, begin to abuse them again. Come on now. The Bible says, be angry, but don't let your anger turn to sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. So the Bible tells us it's okay to feel angry, but do not allow it to develop into sinful responses and resolve it before you go to sleep. Otherwise, it'll fester and become bitter and hate, and all kinds of issues will be in your life. Now, some of you here are very angry, but you're too nice to actually show that you're angry. But it affects us, all of us blocks us from being in relationship with God and with one another. So there are two kinds of anger then. Uh, One anger is a godly anger, and then there's another anger, which is an anger which leads to sin. So what do I do with the anger that I have? Notice here, Jesus got anger. Now, sinful anger, you you hurt people. You hurt yourself, you hurt someone else. Notice what he said, sinful anger here. You turn to somebody and say, ah, you fool. That's sinful anger. Because the spirit of murder is behind that. You are now using words to attack the person 
and you release the spirit of murder against them, which can affect them quite seriously, especially if a number of people do it, or if it's in a family environment. You notice he said, or if you say thou fool, you'll be in danger of hellfire. In other words, go to hell. Tell someone, go to hell. Get lost. Now, you are in danger, the Bible says. You are in danger. Danger of what? Danger that in heaven, they will read what you're doing in the courts of heaven and say, we've got to pronounce judgment against that person. We've got to open up now and release demons to work again. We can't hold them back now because they've held something in their heart which, which is, violates the kingdom of heaven. Now, there is a court in the heavens. And you see, the Bible, see, you think, we think we get away with it because we can't connect being angry today with problems in our life down the line. We just don't connect them. But if you take the word of God, the Bible says if you're angry without cause, you're angry and you start to speak in a way that's destructive to people, then you are in danger. You're in danger of judgment. You're in danger of unleashing the powers of hell against your life. That's serious stuff. Serious stuff. I don't want the powers of hell released. I'm called to release the life of God. Miracles, healings, and deliverances, and every kind of blessing and good thing of God. We're call- that's what we're called to. But Jesus warning us if we let this other thing get in our heart. So he's saying, listen, you know not to murder people. But he said, I want to tell you something else. I want you to get a grip on the issues of your heart because if you let anger go unresolved and don't handle it in the proper way, then it will either explode, it'll implode into you and you'll be hating yourself and destroying yourself and cutting your arms and doing all kinds of weird stuff or it will explode outwards you'll say things to people and you'll unleash a spirit of murder against them how many can remember when someone attacked you with words how hard it was to get over how you felt by that something hit you and you feel knocked inside it's actually a spirit it's a spirit of murder spirit of death death and life is in the power of the tongue So sinful anger can be directed inside. Now, some people, there was a film out a little while ago called Anger Management. I don't know if anyone saw that. Ben Stiller, I think, was in it, and uh, Jack Nicholson, who I just can't stand. And uh, I got very upset watching Jack Nicholson work on this guy. And Ben Stiller was such a nice guy, Mr. Nice Guy. And the guy pointed out, he said, well, there's two kinds of people. There's those who handle their anger by exploding outwards. There's the other ones who take it inside, and then one day they go postal and shoot everyone around them. And he provoked this guy, and finally the anger came out. Then once he got it out, he could address the issue and deal with it. It's it's one one of those funny films. Now, many times I find that Christians kind of have this kind of mentality, I'm not allowed to be angry. Actually, the Bible says, okay to feel angry, but resolve it in a biblical way. Deal with it by bringing it out and releasing it, letting it go, drawing on the grace of God to let go your rights. See, people get angry because they're, they're fearful or threatened. They get angry because a, a right was blocked in some kind of way. I expected this would happen to them. And of course, if you're such a nice person that you don't say it, then you'll become a moody person. Moods are usually anger that's imploded, frustration that's imploded. And so the Bible says very clearly, he said, deal with it. If you bring your gift to the altar and there, remember your brother has an offense against you, be reconciled. Now, how many understand then that we need to deal with this issue? We need to deal with this issue. And they say, well, okay then. Well, I'll give you the steps to deal with it in just a moment. I want you to look at me quickly into Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Luke 6. Verse 31. Now, as you would that men do to you, do likewise to them. The great law of love. Now, notice what he says in verse 32. If you love those who love you, what grace do you have? Even sinners do that. 
If you lend to those who lend to you, well, even sinners do that. What grace have you got on your life? If you, uh, for sinners even do that kind of thing as well. If you love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, your reward shall be great and you shall be children of the, of the highest for he is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Therefore be merciful. Don't judge, don't condemn, give. Now you understand he's talking about relationships. And he's saying, here's the bottom line. He's saying, you don't need to be saved to be good to someone who is good to you. You don't need to be saved to lend to someone that you're going to get something back from. That is how the world operates. If you run your relationships like that, on the basis, I'll be good to you if you're good to me, you build your whole life and relationships around laws, rights and wrongs, Expectation. Jesus said, I want you to live your relationships out of a different level. I want you to live it like this. He says, if you love the ones who love you, he said, what grace of God is on your heart? It takes God's grace to love someone who is unlovely. It takes God's grace to bless someone and they can't ever pay it back. It takes the grace of God to be good to someone who wasn't good to you. And what he's saying is, you can run your life like the world does, which is a payback system. That is, I'll be good to you, and then I'll measure out how much, and now you've got to be good to me. Or you've been good to me, now I've got to measure measure it back. That's how the the world system of relationships works. He said, there's no grace in that. There's no goodness of God in that. There's nothing special about that. You never mark yourself out as being a believer if that's how you run your relationships. He said, I want you to learn how to be good to people who don't deserve it. How to overcome evil with good. How to bless people who hurt you. How to be good. Why do you do that? Why do you do that? And he tells us why to do it. Two reasons. One, God will reward you. See, if, I, if, if Bill does something for me and then I do something back to match it up, that's the world system. But you see, if I do something for him and never expect a thing back, now you know what I can expect? I can expect God to bless me because God will reward me. And you see, what happens is then, if I give him, if I do this for him and he only does a little bit back, I can get offended. Mean old so-and-so. That's what happens. Isn't that how people get? Because they measure. Everything's measured. We're not called to be living a measured lifestyle. I'll give to you and you give to me. You know, like when kids, you know, we're giving out the ice cream when the kids are young. They're all looking at it. They got more than me. And there's a scrap start. So you end up having to weigh it down. And oh, it's a horrendous thing. Now, that's, that's under the law. It's no life in, that, in being living that way. He says, the grace of God teaches us to just be good and kind and generous and bless people. Why? For two reasons. One, because God will ensure that we are rewarded etern- now and in eternity. And secondly, because that's how you establish who you are. That's how you establish your identity. Who am I? I'm a child of God. Who's my father? God is my father. What am I like? I'm a giver. I overcome evil with good. I'm a blesser. That's who I am. It's not because you were kind. It's because that's who I am. I heard, I saw a joke a little while ago. It's quite quite a pointed one that I read. And it had something like this. This this, uh, this man was sitting down at a, uh, on a bus and a woman came along and stood beside him and he stood up to offer her the seat and she kind of got told him off. He said, you don't have to stand up for me because I'm a woman. Those are the days of women's rights, you know, they're all on about. He said, I didn't. I stood up because I'm a man. 
You understand? He didn't measure his behavior on what someone else was doing. He said, this is the kind of person I am. I am that sort of person. If you are a God kind of person, you act in a God kind of way. And God loves and forgives. Does he do it only to the good people? No, he does it to everyone. That's what upsets us. We see a sinner get healed. We can't understand it because we've been praying for that for so long. God is good to bad people. He's good to bad people. We, see, see, you're struggling to get that because you're operating on a system. Well, good, good, come back. It's all a measured system. God isn't like this. Abundance. I'm good, therefore I do good things. And that's what we're called to be the same thing. You notice what he says? Because your father is also merciful. See? He's kind to the unthankful and to the evil. You see, now that really blows away a lot of Christians. We can't think, it doesn't even enter our mind that God would actually be kind and good to people who are miserable and have done bad things. We just can't seem to get a hold of that because we're operating on the system of law. I do this for you, you do this for me. Now we come to God. Well, I do this for you, now I expect you to do this for me. Listen, the kingdom of heaven doesn't operate that way. The kingdom of heaven operates out of a different dynamic, out of abundance, out of goodness. Because I'm a kingdom of God person, I do these things. I forgive because that's who I am, a forgiver, like God. I do good things, why? Because I'm a good person, like God. I, I give things to people, why? Because I'm a giving person like God. See, we, we, we asking God to change us and to make us different, but you actually just got to start doing the things because that's what God does. You say, well, I don't like to do that. Ah, that's because you've learned to live a lifestyle in the flesh and haven't learned the lifestyle of the Spirit, which is a life of giving, life of generosity, life of abundance, a life that overcomes evil with good. I read a story uh, about a, a Negro slave. His name was George Washington Carver, famous Negro slave. And he was beaten severely by his master. But he was a man who loved God passionately. And he refused to abuse or speak against his master, even though he'd been treated so bad. And the other slave said to him, you know, he beats us all and he's beating you. How come you never, ever speak against him and you never, ever do these things? And like, well, like, what you all do? He said, why is that? And he said, well, he said, what he does to me is evil. But I will never let his evil enter into me and corrupt me so I become like him. I will overcome the evil with good. And God raised that man up. He became, God gave him some ideas on the use of a peanut. And uh, would you believe? He asked God to give him a creative idea. And, uh, and God gave him creative ideas on different ways that the peanuts could be used, including peanut butter, which had never been heard of before then. And a whole industry, he became a multimillionaire. But he had a heart towards God. Because God will reward me. <laughs> God will reward me. See? God will reward me. That's the kind of person God wants us to be. So what do we do to get over offenses? In Acts 24, verse 16, look at one last verse, then we just get, I want to give you some steps to be free of an offense. If you didn't know how to recognize an offense, get my last message. <laughs> okay, then Acts 24, 16, I exercise myself always to have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards people. So Paul says, I train myself. I go to real effort to discipline my life so I never get an offense in my heart towards God or an offense in my heart towards people. Now, if you've prayed for unsaved friends and loved ones and nothing happened or prayed for a sick person and they died, it's very easy that in your heart you have an offense towards God. And 
Once it's there, it will affect the dynamic of being able to work in faith. You won't trust someone you're offended with. Okay, what are the steps then to get out of an offense? Because that word exercise means to take effort, to make effort. It's to personally prepare so you can be useful. How many know sometimes it's real easy to forgive? It just floats off like water off a duck's back. And other times, it's really hard. Well, you can be angry for a day, but just get over it before you go to bed, okay? Talk to God about it. Okay, here's some steps. I want to give you these simple steps. They're very simple, very practical. Just take them down and remember them, and you'll have an opportunity to put them in place. Number one, we need to recognize we're hurt. We must recognize we're hurt. We have to recognize that we're hurt. Pride, we don't want to admit it. Proud people never admit they're hurt. Huh, didn't affect me. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. No, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. You know, all that kind of That's just pride. Okay? Do you have the symptoms of being hurt? Withdrawn, closed, can't love, uh, avoid the person, awkward tension in the atmosphere. What are the symptoms there? Huh? Okay? Are you free to bless the person? Do you pray for them and bless them? Can you give to them easily? Maybe you're not angry outside, but you're not abundant in giving to people either. So you really haven't actually come into the place God wants you to be. Could easily be an offense. First, recognize the offense. Sometimes fasting will help us uncover how offended we are. God exposes it as we fast. Second thing, remember what happened. Now, I'll tell you why I need to remember in a moment. We need to remember what happened. Why am I offended? What was said to me or done to me? Remember it. That's all he goes to. He'll bring it back to you. Remember what was said. Well, maybe there's an expectation wasn't there. Well, I thought this was going to happen. It never happened like I thought. Oh, I'm so upset. Okay. Was there an injustice? Bad treatment? I mean, just... See, remember what it was. Eh? What did you feel? Did you feel angry? See, admit you're angry if you're angry. See, if we don't admit what's going on in our soul, we'll just, we won't forgive from the heart. Jesus said to forgive from the heart in Matthew 18, verse 35. Forgive from the heart. Forgive from the heart, you must connect with the heart. And the heart is extremely deceitful. It blocks off and pretends we're not hurt. But the fruit of being hurt is still there because we won't connect and love people. The fruit gives it away. You know, a root by the fruit. See, an orange tree, orange on a tree, it's probably an orange tree. Okay? See, the signs of offense on your life, it's pretty sure you're an offended person. Are you offended? No! Not me, I never get offended. Yeah, right. So just recognize the symptoms. Now, what did you feel? Now, many times people find it hard to admit how angry they are. We, we push the anger down. You see, some people have been in families where they were so controlled, they were never allowed to express how they felt. And so they're angry, seething with anger. But they blocked it because you're not allowed to express it. Now, that's a real dangerous, unhealthy place to be in. And it means you're, you're likely to have a breakdown of some kind. You'll, you'll self-destruct in your health or in your mental condition. There'll be problems with spirit, all kinds of things if you bury stuff. So a lot of people have trouble actually connecting to the fact they're angry. Now, some people's obviously angry. They blow out. You know, they're angry. They're fine after five minutes of blowing out, and you're, you're in a mess for three days, you know. It really knocks you around. And some families, you get the explosion. They stamp and slam. Everyone draws back. Others just go quiet. And, and gentle people will often suppress their anger. And that's a dangerous condition when we suppress it and hold it in because it will result in destructive outflows in our life, physical sickness, uh, uh, mental conditions, cutting, all kinds of things can happen as a result of internalized anger. So one of the ways to help you deal with it, if the signs of an offense are there, is to ask God to help you connect to your anger. Help God to uncover the anger. Write an anger letter. 
An anger letter is a letter written to the person who offended you. You never leave it lying around. You never let the person see it. It's not for them, it's for you. It's for you to open up your heart and actually admit and face how angry you really are. You can start off acknowledging good things. Dear Santo, dear Dad, you know, I really appreciate this and this and this and this. Put all those things out, what was good. But the stuff I really need to talk about, man, this really, I am so angry about, I'm so angry. Now, write it out, just say it like it is. God does not get offended when you say it like it is. The Psalms are full of David saying like it is. The problem is, if you bury it, you're not saying it like it is. You're minimizing it, and there's no healing and forgiveness and deliverance. So say, just write the anger letter out. And as you get to the anger of the letter, you, you need to come to the place where you're willing to release and let it go. But the first phase of letting go anger is to admit how angry we are. Sometimes people, are, you can get counsel, and sometimes they'll give you a little exercise to help you realize how angry you are. And people get amazed when they start to do the exercise. They suddenly find... <laughs> This thing rises up inside them. They've really been living with anger for years. There's a lion in there, easing them on the inside. They didn't even know it because they're so nice, controlled on the outside. And it could be angry because someone died, angry because a grandparent or parent you were close to was suddenly taken away early in your life. could be someone abused you. It could be someone really, you know, did this and that. It all kinds of stuff, whatever it is. But just face the anger. Then, once you've connected with it, you can then start to do the next stage, which is letting go. The next stage is to repent. Repent. Repent is to have a heart change. Repenting means I confess what is going on. You know, Jesus, this, get this. At the cross of Calvary, Jesus took not only our sin, but our injustice. Not only our injustice, but our grief. Not only our grief, but the shame. Not only all of that, but also the sickness and the wounding. He carried it all at the cross, see? But you see, the only way to, think, to, get, to get these things to come out of our life is to bring them out through our mouth and to talk them to Him. And as you think about it and meditate, oh my God, I'm just harboring so much anger and resentment and bitterness. Lord, I, forgive me. I bring this to the cross. I'm asking you to forgive me. See, I, I remember with one woman... And she came up to me and she was fearful about going to a family reunion. And I said, why are you so fearful? She said, well, my brother and his, his friends raped me when I was about 14. And I'm just, just I'm going to explode when I go there. So I talked with her a little bit. And I said this, I said, well, look, what they did was wrong and it was evil. It was rooted in hate. And it's damaged you. But that's not your problem when you go there to the meeting. The problem now is not what they did. The problem is you have got the hatred growing like a tree inside you. It's your hate. And with that, she screamed. She screamed and screamed and screamed. She yelled her head off because she'd been so busy blaming everyone else. She'd not actually owned, I've got issues. It's my stuff now. If you're angry, it's your anger. Don't blame someone else. If you're angry, it's your anger. The person that'll hurt will be you. Jesus said, be careful. Be careful if you're angry with that cause. Be careful to deal with it or you'll be in danger of some things. Now, you recognize this is a big widespread problem in the body of Christ. But it doesn't have to be for us. We can become better than that. We can actually draw on the grace of God. So repent. Then the, then the next phase is to release forgiveness. It's a choice to let go. What you're letting go is your demand for justice. You're putting it in God's hands. God, you've got to sort this out. I let go my demand for repayment. Now, forgiving someone does not mean you will now trust them. Definitely not. Forgiveness is just letting go because God said you ought to let go and he can let you go. 
Okay? So we just need to learn to let go. Release forgiveness. Now we need to speak words. Speak words. Father, in Jesus' name, I release. Think about the person. I release forgiveness to them. I release it in Jesus' name. I will not raise this matter again. I let it go into your hands. Now I bless them. That's the hardest thing, to start to bless them continually. Then finally, the final phase is you need to resist new offense. We need to resist new offenses coming in. Now, often we just get very vulnerable to new offense. So suppose I've had a major issue with Bill. And I've just really worked through my stuff and gotten over it. And then Dave comes over to me and says, what did you hear about Bill? He did this and this and this to so-and-so. Now I've got a real problem because I'm vulnerable still. I haven't really grown very much in this area. I've just got over the, the, my offenses. Now someone's come and downloaded someone else's stuff. You've got to learn how to knock that back and handle it. But you become vulnerable because someone uh, uh, hurts you. They, they share their offense, you get hurt. Or, or maybe you just get exposed and you get hurt again because the person hasn't really changed. So we just become vulnerable. So there are two things you can do which will help you move past it. And here's what the two things you can do. Number one is to pray for them consistently. Pray and bless them. Just pray and bless them. Father, I bless them. I pray you'll bless Bill. I pray he will prosper. I pray he will grow. I pray, Lord, that your favor will be on his life. I pray, Lord, that every year of his life he's going to come to another level. Now that's blessing people. And the second thing you can do is to do an act of kindness to him. I'm going to give him a gift. I'm going to sow into the area I want to overcome. I will purpose to overcome evil with good. Of course, inside your soul is saying, don't do that, he doesn't deserve that. No, but I'm not doing it because he deserves it. I'm doing it because that's who I am now. I'm a child of God who forgives and blesses and overcomes evil with good. And you may need to do that consistently for a little while to break through till your spirit and soul are free. Now, I know that there's a lot of people here are sitting on stuff. I don't want to have a big kind of altar call to deal with it. I don't think that's the best way to deal with it. I believe you need to do some homework with God. To go alone with God and worship Him and let the Holy Spirit show where the offenses are and show you how angry you are and begin to work through the process of anger to where you release forgiveness and then start to bless and act kindly to the person who has hurt you. Does that mean you trust them? No, because the chances are they'll do it again. However, what it does mean is that you have gotten over what they did to you in the past. And you are not going to act in that old way, that old spirit of revenge. You are acting in a new spirit called the kingdom of God. It's the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which is kind to the unkind, good to those who are no good, who is just to people who are unjust, who blesses and gives when people just take. We have to draw on the grace of God to do it. Let's just close our eyes and bow our heads right now. Father, I just thank you that you're teaching us to access the realm of grace which flows from your throne. You've taught us, Lord, to come to your throne boldly, confidently, to obtain mercy for our failings. We acknowledge today that in more ways than we're even aware of, we have harbored offenses towards our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ and this church family towards members of our own family without even realizing it. We felt so justified and self-righteous. But Lord, today we're aware it was pride. Our pride was wounded and we were hurt. And instead of admitting it and humbling ourselves, we just wanted to get back. And oh, we've been so clever, Father, in how we've done it. Withdrawing, moodiness, withholding goodness, keeping our distance, all kinds of ways. But Lord, today we're aware that this was just anger 
and offense. Lord, we don't want to walk in that spirit. There's something in us knows we were made for something bigger than that. We were called to be children of God. To forgive because we've been forgiven. To give because God has given to us. To love because we've been loved. To be abundant. Not because people deserve it. But because that's the kind of people we are. Channels for the abundance of the kingdom of heaven to come into the earth. Oh, Father, help us. Show us how deep the anger is. Show us how deep the injustice is. And give us grace to thoroughly repent and come into a new realm of spirit. Lord, help us. I pray for every one of us here, Lord, an abiding presence for this week, surfacing all of these areas, helping us to let go what's hurt us. I ask the Lord for a spirit of grace to come around our life, that we start to become abundant to one another, abundant in compliments, abundant in praise, abundant in joy, abundant in giving, abundant in loving, abundant in caring, because that's the people you've called us to be. Just while our eyes are closed and heads are bowed, how many people felt God was speaking to you personally today? God really was speaking to you personally. You realize you've worked this whole day. Your life has been on a, a, a balance system under the law. All your relationships have been under this thing. I give and then I see how much I'm given. Then I measure out what I give. And I give and I see if I get the same back. And all that kind of deal. Man, that's a terrible way to run your life. Father, release your presence into our lives today. Wonder, is there any person here today and you, you're not yet a Christian? You don't know Jesus Christ, therefore your sins have never been forgiven. You're carrying a weight of grief, the burdens of many years struggling to overcome things you don't like. It's called sin. It separates us from God. But God is a good God. While you were still a sinner, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, took the penalty, the punishment of them, rose and went into heaven, and now will release forgiveness to you if you'll respond to him. Is there any person here today and you've come, maybe it's your first time, I've been a couple of times, you've never given your life to Jesus. And today you say, I want to become a Christian. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want to receive the goodness of God. Please raise your hand, let me know. Just raise your hand right now. God bless. Over there, one. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Just raise your hand so I can see. God bless. Anyone else? Over there. God bless. I see the hand over there. Anyone else? people with their hands that want to receive Jesus. Anyone else? Is there anyone else? Father, I just thank you for the two that have responded. Lord, in a moment, touch their lives very powerfully. This is what we're going to do. In a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to give these people a great clap. I'd like the two people put your hand up, two men. If you'd like to come and stand in front of me, and I will just take a couple of minutes to pray with you, to lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior. Then we'll give you something to help you in your walk with God. So this is what I want you to do in a moment. On the count of three, I want you to stand to your feet and then all the church will clap and those two put your hands up. Please come and I will pray for you. We're ready now. One, two, three. Let's all stand church. Give them a great clap. As they come to get saved. Come to give their lives to Jesus. Just come. The one from the back over there, just come here. One over here. That's right. Come. Is there anyone else? 
Even if you never put your hand up, you can still come. You can still come. God bless. God bless. Anyone over here? Where's the other one coming? Come on, son. Did anyone come with him? Is there anyone else? Just come on up. Get on you, mate. Need the youth leader over here. Come on. God bless you, son. Okay, just come and face me. Just face towards me. That's right. That's right. What's your name? You're Grant and JD, I want you just to close your eyes now and I want you to follow me in a simple prayer. Everyone's going to pray this prayer called the sinner's prayer. When we pray this prayer, God will hear us. He will hear you. He will respond to you. I want you just to follow me now. Listen to what I say. Prayer is just talking to God. Father in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. Father in heaven come to you in Jesus thank you for loving me thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins I turn away from my sin a life without God and I turn to you today Jesus I receive you as my Savior I receive forgiveness of all my sins I receive your spirit into my heart. And I thank you, Lord, today I belong to you. I give my life into your hands. I thank you from today. Heaven is my home. And you will always walk with me. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Father, just pray for Grant right now. Father, you know the areas where he struggled and wrestled the loneliness and disappointment that he has faced. Today I'm asking, Lord, for your love to flow into his heart. Touch him, Lord, by your spirit. Bring peace to his life. Father, I thank you for JD today. Lord, he's struggled so much in his relationships and his family and with friends. Struggled whether anyone would even accept him. Lord, today I thank you accept him. In Jesus' name, I break the lie and the spirit of rejection off your life. I release God's love to touch you now. Touch him, Lord. Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, let's give them a great clap, shall we? Amen. Fantastic. Great stuff. Amen. God bless you. Hey, someone over there will talk with you and share with you the next steps. That's right. That's right. Just come and talk with them and share the next steps. Father, we just thank you for what you're doing in our midst today. Thank you for your presence. We thank you. You're an awesome, generous, abundant, giving, wonderful God. And where are your people? And we, Lord, reflect that nature into the earth. Generous, abundant, loving, forgiving, joyful. We thank you, Lord, for what you've called us to release into our community. Lord, we want to rise up into the fullness of it. Everyone said. Amen. Let's sing a final song. If you're visiting with us today, come on up and have a cup of coffee. Parents, if you need to go get your kids, feel free to just hop out now and get the kids. Come along tonight. Be great. And shortly we've got an AGM, and the AGM will be on at 12 for half an hour here. And we're just a business uh, meeting. Take us about half an hour to do what we need to do. Present all the accounts and give you a chance to see the the state of the church, which is wonderful. And uh, thank God for it. Okay? So we're just going to sing a song. Just feel free if you need to go to go. If you want to have a cup of coffee, hop upstairs.